Pilcrow, Adam Mars Jones's new novel, depicts an unusual childhood in the late 1950s and early 60s. Unusual in that the young hero, John Cromer, spends much of it confined to bed. Before we got on to the challenges that presents for a novelist, I asked Adam to explain the book's title. It's that gothic-looking backwards P which starts some Bible sections and is also on most word processors to mean non uh, display non-printing characters. And that being so, the fact that my character is very much a non-printing character in the sense mm. that he's such a marginal person that he wouldn't normally get a look in. And here he's given the whole point of view of a large book. So I, I think the fact that the he chooses the book as the symbol for himself in the first paragraph that turned out to be irresistible and he is fascinated by those anomalous characters all those things which fall outside the regular 26 letters of the alphabet are absolutely fascinating to him he, he's a he's a pedant because his control over facts has to stand in for his control over events he's very weak physically he has very little uh, in the way of options on a day-to-day -day basis so the mental play he gets from the idea that there are more letters that there are different ways you can uh, you can inflect a sound or present a character uh, is all fuel to his life's project which is to control his life as much as he can which he does basically by by knowing more than other people and also by charm so it, it allows me to more or less go into seduction overdrive and he grows up in the 1950s so we most of the book occurs from the mid 50s to the mid 60s and it's a very different world isn't it that's something which struck me from the contemporary world in terms of how children are raised particularly children who um, suffer from illness yes uh, I mean that there was there was no idea of abuse that certainly, I mean, I haven't researched in it to find when the word child and abuse came together to become a sort of defining crime. But at the time, it was felt to be more worrying if you spoil children. Mm. Uh, and I, I speak, to, I'm born 1954, not 1949. And I was, I was brought up with, you know, in, in comfort. But still, there was the sense, that whole culture of eat your bread and butter before you have your cake, which would be quite impossible for children or even young people now to understand was relatively recent. I think John Cromer, the hero of the book, says that hugs in his house might as well have been kept in the medicine cupboard. So they were not they were not something for every day. So affection was was very much in short supply. It, it, well, it's not that it, I don't think he feels unloved, but it's a very undemonstrative culture where the fact that your father hardly ever touches you mm. is not even felt as a lack. And the fact that his mother is a little bit, I mean, she's insecure and has her smothering side, means that he, if he's going to get contact, it's going to be outside the family anyway, I, I think. Uh, it's not meant to be an indictment of that style of parenting. And those parents clearly have a lot to cope with because the father is, is in the Air Force. He's moving around a lot. Uh, and the mother is tied to her son and comes over time to feel that it's her mission to look after him, which is very bad for her character. So he has to find a way of standing on his own two feet. Which, which is, uh, as you've said, not, not an easy thing for him not to come. Now you have a, a, a hero who has severely reduced mobility. Mm. That must present problems for a narrator, for a, a novelist. Obviously things have got to be happening other than on the purely physical 
domain. Yes, because at the same time, it does determine some of what you do with the narrative. I remember Angela Carter saying that particularly first-time novelists spent an awful lot of time getting people into a room. So it was, so on the morning of the 18th, I presented me myself outside those grey stairs I came to know so well and knocked on the dully lack of blah, blah, blah. And she was saying, get them in and start the scene, whatever you want. But with my character, getting into the room is the scene, or, or at least you can't skip it. Uh, this is a life without shortcuts, and I felt that in writing about it, I had to respect that. And I couldn't suddenly say, a year later, everything had to be linear. And even though there can be a tremendous sense of claustrophobia reading about that, I hope that there's also a sense gradually of that changing in a sort of sense of, of the richness within mm. those restrictions. But it means he's got a very rich inner life. So it the things happening in his head are compensating for what's not happening in his physical existence. Yes, and uh, that doesn't mean that uh, I imagine anybody would envy him, but certainly I think there's a distinctiveness in his take on things. And even though he has anything but a bird's eye view, he has almost a worm's eye view, looking up uh, from the bed, at the adults around him and the world around him, uh, I do want his point of view to have a sort of authority, not to be just sort of cutely misunderstanding. I do want to show that he's part of the world even because he, even though he's at the very edge of it, because without that the book couldn't work. The whole premise of the book is that there is a wholeness in this life, even though it is a life that seems entirely made up of negatives. And a lot of his energies go into understanding, making sense of what's going on around him. I suppose is the case with any child growing up, but in his case it's particularly acute because the data he gets are so in some ways limited or in some ways easy to misconstrue. There's a lot, there's a lot about misconstruing in this book, isn't there? Yes, no, mishearing no, things. No, nothing, nothing fatal, uh, I don't think. In fact, he does seem uh, quite good at working his way, uh, at sort of creating a working model of the family, creating a working model even of sex, which is made uh, very difficult by his circumstances. And one thing that may alienate some readers is I give him religious faith and of a non-Christian sort. So, uh, I mean, the implication is that he's looking back on his life from a, from a perspective that has become explicitly Hindu. Uh, but I wanted to have a way of talking about pain and deprivation that didn't regard it sacrificially, which Christianity tends mm. to do, that it's either a punishment or it's something you take upon yourself for the benefit of other people. I wanted him to be part of a religious tradition which regards pain as unreal. Mm. And uh, you know, clearly that's quite high risk. And it also puts my hero in one more minority uh, when you might have thought that uh, he was in enough already. I, I wondered about the Hinduism. I wondered because you're quite guarded about how much you say about his later life because the, the book takes him up to the age of 16. And we get hints about things which have changed or things which have influenced him later. But he holds back or you hold back from, from giving too much away about... You know, there's, there's nothing about a conversion to Hinduism, but you get the language of Hinduism sort of seeping through. You can't remove hindsight from a narrative of when somebody's talking about their, their own past. And I'm clearly Joyce's breakthrough in Portrait of the Artist was to have something other than hindsight. I think before then, or perhaps some Dickens, there was almost nothing in uh, narratives of childhood 
from the point of view of the adults they became that didn't entirely take the register of you know, what I remember of my grandfather as the tickling sensation of his of his uh, whiskers, his dundreary whiskers against my infant cheek. Mm. Uh, the fact that Joyce broke with that and could come with such extraordinarily uh, direct things as when you wet the bed, first it is warm, then it is cold. But I think that that can become affected if pursued too far. And particularly if you are dealing with somebody's life when seen from a future state, then I thought you may as well embrace the hindsight. Try not to make it too predictable. So have a sort of wash of the linguistic sophistication and indeed the adult awareness. But then every now and then reveal, you know, the childish suffering or the bafflement or the the incomprehension uh, underneath it all. I take what you say about Hinduism and the pain. And I also really liked Dr. Edward Bach, who is used as a kind of way of interpreting human character types. You, you do know I, I didn't make him up. I do know that. <laughs> I know, yes, I know you didn't make him up. And I didn't know anything about him apart from his name. But he has supplied a whole typology of character types, it, it seems, from, from reading the book. Yes, I, I can't remember how he went about it. Did he, he did something like he, he took all the, uh, all the medications himself, all the tinctures in the 20s, and more or less reported how they altered his behaviour somehow and then wrote The Twelve Healers, and then later there was... uh, uh, That's the other thing, is that my my character is fascinated with alternatives. Mm. Uh, So uh, he spends a lot of his time grappling with with orthodox medicine, even though at the time that I'm writing about, bed rest was still felt to be a key part of the medical armoury. And I, I can remember my mother having my younger brother and being immobile for two weeks mm. now that would be felt to be in real risk of a thrombosis and of losing muscle tone and so forth so by the time after two weeks bed rest when you put your feet to the floor you do feel ill so it confirms the idea that childbirth is a form of illness but it isn't or and no doubt we're making our own mistakes at the moment but i i, I wanted him to to have a sort of constant interest the moment something was proposed as the obvious way to do things his mind immediately looks for an alternative so i suppose you could say for uh, for heterosexuality there's homosexuality for uh, allopathy there's the bach system mm. uh, and for christianity there's hinduism i mean he's always rejecting the obvious path, Mm. mainly because nobody can actually indicate where the obvious path will lead to in his case. Yes, he doesn't doesn't really fit on the path, does he? And he seems to be quite uh, quite at ease with that from an early age, and there's other people who are constantly trying to make him more conventional, even though it's hard to imagine what a conventional life as lived by this character would be. You mentioned bed rest, and at one point he describes marriage um, in the 1950s and particularly in the marriage of his parents as a kind of metaphorical bed rest and I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the book was this portrait of a marriage that, that is played out above his head as it were. Yes, I, as, a, as the, it is a long narrative and this, is, this takes him up to I think it's 15 not 16 but I, I could be wrong I'm, I'm not, uh, but as I do want to take it further I mean I didn't want to spill, spill too much about that marriage mm. at this stage and clearly from the child's point of view it's all what you have to deal with rather than something you can hope to understand but clearly it's it's not the best of marriages at the same time it's a marriage of its of its era 
because certain things were not expected by one spouse of another at the time. You know, certainly the armed forces wouldn't mm. think that compassionate leave was a factor. You know, if the wife and kids can't trod around the, the world following you, then uh, that's, that's your bad luck. And we've talked about the pill crow, the, the sign and his interest in typography. And we talked about mishearings. And also, his mother is very sensitive and sensitises him to the, the class nuances of language. Mm. And great, he's got to speak one language with his, his parents and another language with other children. And there's a great deal of sensitivity to, to how you express yourself in the book. Well, again, it's, it's because the, co- the context changes around him. Uh, he doesn't move freely from one social zone to another. Uh, so he does live a double life without really, from most people's point of view, having much of a life in the first place. But there's also the theme of, of, of doubleness, you know, the fact that there's one place he lives where it's not clear which of two counties it's in. Mm. Uh, and that sense that things are, are both and neither uh, clearly appeals to him in the short term because he wants everything to be settled he wants there to mm. be uh, I mean there's one passage where he says I was at a time when I really needed to know for sure one way or another I was very Newtonian and as time's gone by I've come to relish things not being fixed but certainly you can see how as part of his psychology the need to know where you are yes. is terribly important and the class thing is part of that and, and I hope it's I hope it's funny it's that, very funny uh, yes that he, he longs mm. to be a gutter snipe but can't quite manage it. And, you know, at certain times, you know, to call something toilet is the worst thing in the world. Mm. Other times, uh, lavatory is a word that everybody laughs at. So, uh, you know, he does get it coming and going. These physical challenges he faces, were they in your mind from the very conception of the novel or did you begin thinking about writing about a childhood in the 50s and and that gradually... It's, came to be part of it. It's hard to say what comes first because I go through a very long stage of thinking that something's impossible. I, I have a very bad relation with writing, which is why it's such a thrill to have uh, a big book ready <laughs> because you know, I, I review books a lot. I'm very analytical about them. I le- I'm less analytical about my own stuff, but I sort of feel a sort of blind disgust with it a lot <laughs> of the time. And my normal way of getting something done is to list all the reasons why it can't be done you know, why obviously isn't even worth thinking of doing because I could never bring it off because of the various reasons, then gradually they become a little bit more malleable. And then you have one day where you find yourself saying, well, perhaps I could do it if I did such and such. And at long last, the equation has become more positive than negative. And then to a remarkable extent, all the problems which you had only you'd sort of phrase them to yourself, but had not been written down as drafts, then it becomes possible. So, you know, I don't agonise through drafts. I just sit there constipated and mm. self-hating. But one of the, undoubtedly one of the germs of the book was, I remember reading, Isherwood had written about his experiences in Berlin, but he'd presented himself as heterosexual, so as to write, you know, Mr. Norris Changes Trains uh, and uh, Goodbye to Berlin. And in late, later life, when he was a very outspoken gay liberationist, he still defended that decision, or he was asked to defend it, and he said that it was a matter of having a narrator who was neutral, who people would accept, who the reader in the street could get on with. He mentioned that he himself was vegetarian. So if he had a vegetarian narrator, then he would be filled with disgust watching mm. somebody eat a hot dog. Mm. But you couldn't expect 
the reader to take that on board and therefore it was okay for heresy view in those stories to be notionally straight mm. and i sort of bought it because he is trying to do a portrait of berlin rather than a portrait of heresy view at the same time the narrator creates the story that a different narrator would have seen a different story so at the back of my mind was the thought how many minorities could a narrator be in mm. and still speak on equal terms with a reader and and that in a way is the is the sort of uh, gamble of the book that it is possible that it's not only possible but it's it's terribly easy once you get on a wavelength yes and the fact that there is no shared experience god knows i share little enough experience mm. with my narrator but therefore i assume that there is no necessary overlap of experience at all with mm. the reader and it doesn't matter because my character isn't angling for pity he isn't a political test case i'm not agitating for anything and the fact that he addresses the reader as it were on equal terms is, is all there is to it mm. you talked about those sort of difficulties bringing him to the page but at some stage you must have thought this isn't a novella this isn't a short story this is a a large novel and you've hinted that it may go it may go beyond you know there may the myths may not be the last we've heard well, of John Cromer there's, there's there's more to hear about him so exactly well uh, I would I would hope so it, you have to blame computers for this in that if you have a big novel that you're working on in notebooks you have a rough physical mm. sense of how big it is because of the number of notebooks but if you're working on a number of files I mean I do sometimes write uh, longhand I'm not a complete computer bunny but it meant it's only when I started editing together that I realized how very large it was and I was aware that it was extensive because it had to be leisurely and it had to be full there, there had to be the sense that he my narrator controls his world by understanding it in detail by knowing exactly the difference between one thing and another so that has to be itemized but it can't just be a dry list it has to be warmed up and rendered humorous but it does mean that the uh, the tempo of, of the action is less than breakneck i mean i hope it becomes hypnotic and i hope that happens fairly soon but that's always something you just have to hmm. to trust to to luck and your your judgment for so it's only when i began to edit it together that i realized there were chapters that were longer than books i'd written in the past hmm. and i had no idea it was quite that large and then I thought that it had to be all one volume. And then I realized that even though the ending point of this was not written as a, as a big ending point, that it worked very well, that uh, there's a sense of, of release. And uh, so we like, if you do take things slow, and yes. if there's a strong sense of restriction, then when release comes along, it's very powerful. So there's uh, there's a scene in the, in the music room of the school quite late in the book where I feel sure people will be cheering my hero on to a consummation that would actually in some ways quite horrify them if they came across it in real life. Yes. Adam Miles-Jones, thank you very much indeed.